Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, is this on? It is. So how are we doing? Having fun? <laughs> Remember what the first day of a retreat was like before you started today? Um, you might have had a really exquisite, lovely day. <clears throat> oh, finally, no emails, no responsibilities, nothing to do. I can just be with myself. Uh, but maybe you had a different um, different kind of day. I'm just wondering, uh, just a little, a little uh, weather report, how many people were sleepy today? Look around. How many people were restless today? Uh, company two. Uh, aches in the body? Mm-hmm. Busy mind? Right on schedule. <laughs> Just as a reminder, uh, it takes it takes a few days to to land here, uh, and uh, it, it, whether you've been you've done one or two retreats, or two retreats at least, or twenty or thirty. Uh, for most people, there's that still, still that same settling in process uh, that um, usually takes about three days to land. I give myself at least three days to go through as much sleepiness and restlessness and aches in the body and busyness and uh, whatever I go through uh, before I start saying, hey, what's going on? And then... After three days, if I'm still there, I'll give myself another couple of days. Because uh, the, the, the hardest part is when you think, oh, I must be doing something wrong. God, I set my whole life up to come here and I'm just sleepy and miserable. Um, or maybe just a little grumpy. There's a kind of detox process that happens at the beginning. You're fasting from stimulation. You're being told, okay, sit still now until you hear that bell ring. Now walk in a very mindful way, back and forth. Now sleep in this bed that you don't usually sleep in, maybe with a roommate. Uh, and now eat very mindfully. Um, so of course there's going to be some resistance and some um, um, adjustment in the schedule. You look at that schedule, sitting, Walking, sitting, walking, you know. There, there's not, not a way out if you feel like you're kind of uh, being confined. But something has brought you here, right? Uh, I don't have to convince you. That's one of the beautiful things about uh, this retreat. Everybody here has had enough of a taste of practice to say, I really am called to do this. Isn't that amazing? Even though this is not such an easy endeavor, there's something deep in you that says, I 
really want to, need to do this. Is that something? I want to talk tonight about um, one of my um, favorite lists. It's a list talk. Um, from the teachings that gives a sense of how this practice unfolds, at least how, that's how I find it so helpful, how it unfolds and also uh, touches on some key issues in practice that uh, I have a, a chance to share with you, uh, at least my perspective, and uh, hopefully it'll be useful to you. And that is the, uh, the list of the five spiritual faculties. <clears throat> that when developed, become another list, the five spiritual powers. So each of these has a, a kind of fullness of maturity. <clears throat> so maybe you're familiar with this. Uh, if you're not, um, I'm glad I get a chance to, uh, to share it with you. <clears throat> so the first of these faculties is the quality of faith. The Pali word sadha, S-A-D-D-H-A, sadha, faith. And for some people, the word faith might be very inspiring. For others, it might trigger images of Sunday school or Hebrew school or some kind of religious upbringing that... Uh, that maybe uh, turned you to Buddhism in the first place. Um, so, however you use it, um, there are other ways to hold this quality. Sadha, that, that uh, translates, uh, uh, the word sadha really means to put one's heart upon something, to put your heart into it. There's a wholeheartedness and a moistness that is really essential to practice. Other uh, translations or synonyms for the word sadha besides faith, trust, confidence, conviction, really very rich, powerful words, aren't they? Trust. <clears throat> And there are different levels of faith or sadha, trust, that, that one develops in practice, but it starts with somewhere, sometime, something touched you, spoke to you about these teachings that really struck a chord inside. For me, I, I've shared this uh, many times when I, I share my, my journey. Uh, the first time I heard uh, the Dharma, Buddha Dharma, uh, spoken uh, in, in such a clear way by uh, Joseph Goldstein in 1974 in, at Naropa, the first uh, summer at Naropa 
Institute, now Naropa University, where I, I, went, I went there because Ramdas was going to be there, and I've been carrying around Be Here Now like a Bible for three, three years, and uh, asked Ramdas, uh, what, what about meditation stuff? And he said, go, sit to this, go check out this guy Goldstein. And when I heard Joseph say in his embodied way, it's really possible to free the mind and to not be run by your neurotic thoughts, which had never occurred to me as a remote possibility before. When he, but he said, it's really possible to not be run by your mind. Something in the way he said it with such conviction and confidence just hit me in a way that I, I was longing for. And I said, shortly after, it was really that first talk, um, I think I found what I'm looking for. I'm going for it. Remember when that happened for you? Whether it was a book or a, a talk or a friend talking about their experience or some kind of um, epiphany or something that struck a chord that opened you up to the possibility of really finding peace inside? Do you remember it? Just for a moment as I'm talking, make it real. Just go back and remember that moment. Might have been a few steps along the way, but the one that said, oh my goodness, I think I found what I'm looking for. I'm going for it. What a profound landmark moment in your life. That gives rise to what's called bright faith, where you feel just inspired and saying yes and there is a kind of fire that gets lit or a glow or a kind of opening at the possibility that's truly um, that's a turning point <clears throat> for me also when I heard the uh, one line in the teachings uh, where the, the Buddha says um, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible. And everything else he said sounded pretty right on, so why not that? He's saying, it's possible. Mm. So that, that bright faith gets you going and got you on your first retreat or your first books or whatever, however you got into uh, checking all this stuff out. And then you sat a retreat or two or more and little by little that bright faith turned into, started to turn into and is turning into what's called verified faith. Where it's not just something that someone else says or that you read about in a book, but that you're starting to see for yourself. 
That's a whole other level. You don't have to take anyone else's word for you, which is just what the Buddha suggested. Don't believe anybody. You just check it out for yourself. And then you start seeing, oh yes, there is something to this. Uh, uh, on my, my second retreat, I had that experience of verified faith up in uh, Washington State. I was on this retreat and um, I was having a hard time those first few days and I just felt like we were all in some kind of a, a cult, even though I'd been doing this for a, a year or two, you know, okay, I'm, I'm doing it, but wow, this seems so weird and everybody around seemed like a phony and the, I didn't believe what the teachers were saying. I just had this tremendous wave of doubt. I tried to sit, I couldn't sit, I tried to walk, it was like... I was just a, a caged tiger. Finally, I remembered, uh, oh, maybe I should just, not remembered, I just said, maybe I should just cool out and just relax. And I went up to my little cubicle in this meditation center, and there was a picture of Neem Karoli Baba from Be Here Now, who inspired me, and kind of looking with a smile on his face back at me, saying, hmm, freaking out, aren't we? <clears throat> and in a, in a moment, the whole doubt, wave of doubt broke. And I said, oh, I'm just completely overwhelmed by doubt. They were talking about that just the other day. Oh yeah, doubt. And I got so excited. It was like I, all of a sudden the spell was broken and I couldn't wait to tell Joseph in an interview. Unfortunately, it wasn't until the next day. And I spent the next, oh, 14 hours or so from excitement and exhilaration. I crashed, I was exhausted, I was confused, I got a little quiet and then I got, got stirred up again and I went into the interview and, I, and uh, he said, so, so how is it? And I said, completely innocent and exasperated, it's always changing. He said, that's it. Oh, that's what you keep on saying. I get it. It really is always changing. Oh. And it was a, a, an experience of verified faith. It wasn't just something I was reading in the book. Oh, yeah. Look at how many different states I've gone through in these last hours. I think I'm getting it. And on that retreat also, I just I found that I... It wasn't just a struggle after a few days going through that detox. It was really hard those first few days. And then I kind of settled in and I found, oh, I can do this. Just remembering now, oh, I can do this. I think, I think this, is, this is for me. And no turning back. And you're all experiencing in some way You've had that experience. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here signing up for a month, let alone a, a week. Something has touched you. And as the, the faith deepens, keeps on deepening, it turns into uh, what's called unshakable faith, where the development is so strong, the confidence is so strong that no matter what, you're held in 
your trust in the Dharma. Sometimes say, you know, even at this point, even if the Buddha came into this room and said, you know that mindfulness stuff, I was just kidding. It wouldn't matter. I know mindfulness works. And little by little, we're developing this unshakable faith that no one can take away from you. As the Buddha said, come and see for yourself. Faith requires some kind of courage, real courage, to go into unknown territory. And that's what we're doing. You're stretching yourself. You're being, you're being willing to open up and look at everything inside. That's part of this process. Being willing to see the fears and the um, rage and the pettiness and the judgment and the self-loathing and the wanting and all of, all of that stuff because underneath all of that stuff you find that there's a capacity to hold it and there's no bypassing that stuff. It's not like you've got to dive in over your head but little by little you learn to have trust that you have this capacity and you are more and more willing to go into that unknown territory and find the more you do, the more you discover those qualities of heart and mind that you so long for. This is a a poem, perhaps you're familiar with it. Uh, I love it. Unconditional by Jennifer Wellwood. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so who's crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight. To honor its form, true devotion. So it takes courage to face all of our demons and those challenging parts inside. It takes patience to just learn, I can sit with this. You know, that's what we're doing. We're sitting with it all. You know, that that image of the Buddha sitting and Mara's throwing his army at him, weapons and seductive images and even doubt, and the Buddha is here sitting through it all and saying, yes, I can be with this too. That's what we're doing. And there we are, sitting through it all, finding the inner strength and courage and trust that knows that this is all workable. It's not so much faith or trusting that I'm so great or that I can do it or that everything is going to work out just the way I hope. There's a a line by um, 
Seneca, the Roman philosopher, you cease to be afraid when you cease to hope because hope is accompanied by fear. That's different than, hey, I hope you're having a good time as you start your emails or whatever. But hope, oh, I hope this turns out the way I want. That you can feel the, the, the anxiety involved in that if, if you have unmet expectations. But the trust is more trusting in the process and trusting in the awareness that your awareness will meet the moment when it comes. It always has. That's where verified faith comes from. Think of how many challenges you've met in your life and you've survived them all and here you are stronger for them. Same with this next one. Faith can also be faith or trust in the refuges, in the Buddha, in the Dharma, in the Sangha. Faith, trust in the Buddha besides that historical figure, that Buddha right inside of you. I take refuge in the Buddha, in that place that has the capacity to awaken. This is from Nyoshal Kempo. Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself, is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing this true nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. That's the, the trust and the faith that keeps you going, even if you're not in contact with it from, from moment to moment or day to day. You know there's something good inside. Okay, so faith then leads to, or trust in the process leads to the second of these faculties, that of effort or energy. <clears throat> effort begets energy. And effort is a key issue in practice. So I, I want to talk a little bit uh, about it here as we start this retreat. Um, there are different approaches to practice depending upon who's giving the talk or what you might be reading. Uh, there is the, the, the very inspiring call to heroic effort. You know, famous line, practice like your hair is on fire. Sitting with a with a, 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 a great Sayadaw who basically was saying, if you're, if you're sitting and your leg is hurting and you think it's gonna fall off, just note it, falling, 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 you know. <laughs> just nothing getting in the way. And I know how to, practicing that way with such a sense of urgency can be tremendously inspiring. You need to keep it light. <laughs> Otherwise, it gets very intense and very grim. So that's one side. The other side, you hear teachings simple and easy. That was Manindraji's, uh, uh, Joseph Goldstein's teacher and a teacher of mine, his, his instruction, simple and easy, empty phenomena 
rolling on. This is uh, from Rest, rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thoughts, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. And they're both, they're both right. Tibetan, another Tibetan uh, teaching. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. Nothing to do, nothing to force, and everything happens by itself. Sounds pretty good. They tell you that. That's one of the high Tibetan teachings, the Dzogchen teachings, which uh, they tell you after you do 100,000 prostrations and 100,000 mantra recitations and visualizations, then they say, just relax. But effort is a very key element in practice because we want to do it right and yet we don't want to get too tight. And so there's an ongoing checking in as to what's needed to bring balance so you can truly show up for the moment. And sometimes that will mean walking back and forth very diligently, 20 steps, 30 steps, 10 steps. Sometimes it'll mean going for a cup of tea. Sometimes it'll mean going for just a really spacious, relaxed walk and getting some openness and ease inside. On one retreat, early three-month retreat, where I um, was very diligent, had that warrior-like spirit. And in, in my earlier days of practice, I just really loved going slowly. Because when you get into that mode, it can be really fun. You know, just, if you're not straining and struggling to do it, it's just, oh, there's so much to see. But at some point, I started to get tight about my practice. It was going beautifully for a while, and then I was just seeing, I gotta go slower, I gotta get, catch every moment, you know. And it felt like the walls were closing in. And uh, at some point, I hadn't been walking at a normal human-like pace for a few weeks, and I said, I'm gonna play hooky. <clears throat> I'm just gonna go for an unmindful walk. This is it the center in, in Massachusetts at IMS, and I, I hadn't been outside, and I put on my, my boots. It, was, it had been snowing out. I hadn't been out in the snow for, for quite some time, and I put on my jacket, my parka, and I said, I'm not gonna try to be mindful at all. 
Left, right, left, right, sniffling, hearing, left, right, left, right, thinking, left, right. I couldn't not, I couldn't turn it off. It was amazing. It was the most mindful I'd been in the previous two weeks. Just when I stopped trying so hard. So this is something to, to keep in mind. There's no one right way and no, no right amount of effort. If you're looking at effort and checking out what it looks like, how concentrated you are, how mindful you are, how slow you are, how few hindrances you have, you're setting yourself up for real suffering. Because the practice has lots of different ebbs and flows. And you can't tell what's really going on from the inside. That's why it's helpful to come to interviews and just check in. And it's easier from the outside to just kind of get a sense of somebody's pra uh, process and practice. <clears throat> but where instead of thinking about it in terms of uh, results, what it looks like, if you think of effort as just a sincerity of heart, that's your key ingredient, which will look different from, from one sitting to another, from one day to another, because your energy changes and your um, mindfulness and clarity changes. And so I think the key question that I use is, what do I need to help me show up in this moment? What's going to really support my being present? And it might mean turning up the jets. And it might mean just relaxing. But I want to give to you uh, one little pithy teaching that maybe if you don't get anything else from this talk, uh, it, it might be of value. Struggling is extra. Get no bonus points for struggling. All it does is make you tighter and tighter and harder to see clearly because the mind is so contracted and the heart is so contracted that you can't have that wisdom shine through. You can't have that kindness shine through. You can't have that spaciousness and understanding for insights to arise. For me, the, the key in the, the practice, the effort, and it is the effort to be mindful. This is the next in this sequence. The effort needs to be one of relaxation, relaxed, interested and kind awareness. Those are my three instructions to myself, to others. When you sit, just as best you can, see what's happening right now and open to it with a relaxed, interested, kind awareness. That doesn't mean laid back it doesn't mean, well, if I'm mindful, if I'm mindful, if I'm not, I'm not. Because you won't get to be mindful if you just kind of 
trust to the faiths. It does take a wholeheartedness and a willingness to be here, but if there's a tightness, ah, bring some ease. The key is interest, because when you're interested in something, you don't have to be cajoled to pay attention. You really want to pay attention, and you have that natural curiosity. I often mention this on, on retreats, you know, the, this birthday card that, I, that I've never given away because I love it so much, of this little baby on, uh, on the front uh, who is uh, an infant, really, who's, just, who's pulled a, a booger from his nose. And there he is, entranced, mesmerized, at what he's seeing, and you open it up, and it says, you always were easy to entertain. Happy birthday. That's, you came in with that natural sense of curiosity and wonder. And for me, one of the things that helps make it like a game, is, sorry, that, that makes it interesting, is to make it like a game. This doesn't have to be a heavy-duty chore. That you're just kind of seeing, oh, Sometimes think of myself like a, an alien, just ar- arrived, dropped down from the mothership, and I'm, I'm supposed to report back, oh, this is what breathing is like for these guys. It's what having a meltdown is like for these guys. Just, uh, just seeing if you can be curious without the, the evaluation or the judgment, oh, Let's see if I can be present for this breath. And whenever you've gone, that's where the kindness comes in. The key moment in the practice for me is the moment you realize you've been wandering. While you're wandering, there's not much you can do about it, right? You are gone. But at some point, you might realize it's helpful to have a room full of people you might realize, oh, meditating, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Okay. At that point, any kind of judgment just gets in the way. You just get more contracted. And so you bring yourself back with uh, an appreciation. Ah, here I am again. Make it like a game. It doesn't matter how many times you've gone, if you can bring it back each time. It was a a great um, revelation for me, one retreat. It occurred to me, I really don't have control over how concentrated or mindful I am. If I did, I'd just sit down and say, okay, third jhana, please. You know. um, but I don't, and the mind wanders. But what you do have control over is the willingness to bring yourself back every time you see you've gone. That's your end of the deal. And if you can bring yourself back with kindness and patience and presence and just begin again, ah,
It's always just this next moment. <clears throat> so this effort needs to be a kind and interested, relaxed effort. Effort to be mindful. The third in these in this sequence. <clears throat> mindfulness, you've been hearing about mindfulness since you've been doing this practice, I'm sure. But I just want to mention a few things about it to... Um, to first, that amazing sa- statement of the Buddhas at the beginning of the Satipatthana Sutta. There is one direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, and grief and despair, pain and anxiety. That is the establishment of mindfulness. That's a pretty amazing statement. One way to end all suffering and to realize the highest happiness. One most direct way. Every moment that you're mindful, that's what you're doing. You are weakening habits of greed, hatred, and delusion. Strengthening habits of non-greed, of capacity to let go and generosity non-hatred or a friendliness, a kindness, metta, spirit of metta, and non-delusion, clarity, seeing clearly the truth. Single moment. And there's so many different ways to be mindful. In that discourse, the Buddha talks of mindfulness of the breath and the body and different postures like we're doing here with the sitting and the walking. Um, mindfulness of noticing the pleasantness or unpleasantness or neutrality of experience, the flavor of experience. Mindfulness of all of these states and thoughts in the mind. And mindfulness of the certain principles of how the mind gets caught and how it can be freed. So it's not just that we're good breath watchers, if that's your anchor, or good, uh, good feet watchers, if you're doing the walking meditation. Every moment of mindfulness is just as liberating as any other moment. And a moment of mindfulness when you're having a very difficult, painful mind state is just as liberating as noticing hair follicles swaying in the breeze on an in-breath or an out-breath. Every moment of mindfulness counts. And what it does, when you wake up, you interrupt believing in your thoughts. In a moment, you can wake up. I'll just share this little anecdote that I love of uh, Sylvia Borstein, one of our beloved teachers, who is talking about how mindfulness can interrupt the confusion in the mind. She was, uh, she was saying that 
she was visiting a friend in New York uh, and had arranged to meet them uh, for a theater performance and she decided to take a bus to get there. She, as the bus crept along um, in heavy traffic, she started to worry. And she says, I'm going to be late. I'll miss the curtain. My friend will worry about what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus. The subway would have been so much faster. Figuring she could walk faster than the bus was going, Sylvia got off. And of course, she says, as I'm walking, the bus passes me by. And now I'm thinking I should have taken a cab. <clears throat> Sylvia has been meditating for years, but she was also, by her own admission, fretting for many years, her whole life. So it was a natural reaction that she fell into. And she continues her story, describes running down Broadway in high heels with a cold whipping around her. And then she says, all of a sudden I have the thought, oh, what am I doing? Oh, I'm grumbling. That's a moment of mindfulness. Up until then, I was caught up in a habit-driven narrative, an editorial comment about what was happening. But the moment at which the mind says, oh, Sylvia, dear, you're grumbling. The lens switches, and suddenly the truth of that moment is I'm a 71-year-old woman running down Broadway in the middle of winter in high heels. That is far out. That's an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt proud, and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. <laughs> Just in a moment, you can switch your relationship. Oh, having a meltdown. Oh, yes, dear. You don't have to get rid of any thoughts. Just see them with a kind awareness. And for me, that idea of every moment of mindfulness counts has always been a, 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 an inspiration. Joseph Goldstein used to have this encouragement. He said, um, you're, you're accumulating NPMs, what he called NPMs, noticings per minute. Oh, just see, that was the little game I played. See how many noticings I can get. Oh, yeah. Mindfulness can have many different lenses. It can be, as I said, very microscopic and very global. It can look so many different ways. Just what's happening now? And can I meet it with a very interested kind awareness? The effort to be mindful leads to the fourth of these qualities, which is concentration. So faith and trust leading to the effort to be mindful. And as those moments of mindfulness keep on building on each other, those NPMs get closer together, the mind starts getting collected and focused and concentrated. Concentration is a very wonderful thing when it happens, but it's not something that you can force. And this is, uh, again, where the relaxation comes in, because if you try hard to get concentrated, the very action of trying hard contracts the mind. And you might get focused for a little while, but it's not very sustainable.
the mind gets tired, fatigued, exhausted. And that's where the interest is so helpful. Oh, let's check this out. The whole notion of absorption, you know, we talk about having absorption states. There's the word right there. You are absorbed in the experience. It really is it's compelling and interesting. And at the beginning, you have to kind of pretend that it's interesting. I know. But if you play that game of pretending it's interesting, what happens is the more you're mindful, the stronger the mindfulness gets, the more you see and the more interesting everything becomes and the more interesting everything becomes, the more you want to pay attention. And I'm sure most everybody here has, this has had the experience of, of really falling into that groove of mindfulness where you're not trying hard, you're just there. And you say, oh, why would I want to be any place else? Show. That comes from the development of the momentum of mindfulness. And then you're not having to struggle to get here. You just want to be here. The other side is that if you don't put in the effort to be mindful, a wholehearted effort, or bring yourself back, the mindfulness doesn't develop. And when it doesn't develop, it's not so strong. When it's not strong, things aren't quite as interesting. My thoughts or my fantasies are more interesting. Or my fears are more compelling. At least they're not boring. Okay? And we get hooked by those. And so, oh, who wants to be mindful? So that mm, intention to cultivate that momentum makes all the difference. And in the beginning, Joseph used to have this image of it's like you're cranking up a, an engine, cranking and cranking, and then finally it catches. And there you are in that, in that groove where you want to be here, not because you're supposed to, but just because it's fun. <clears throat> the key to concentration is continuity. Very simple. That moments of mindfulness building on each other start to develop that momentum. And so whatever you're doing is worthy of your attention. Don't think that sitting here in the hall is really where it's at or, or lifting your foot and placing it is really the meditation. And it is, but there's everything in between. There's brushing your teeth, there's showering, there's, um, there's making your, uh, your bed, there's eating your food, there's uh, looking at a lizard, there's whatever it is, 
every moment is just as liberating as every other moment. And so if you start to make the whole day like a dance, if you can make, I often say this, if you can make brushing your teeth as sacred an act as sitting here in the hall, feeling your breath, sense of the power of continuity. And if you take a, a morning or an afternoon and not take many breaks, not take breaks, but just do the sitting and the walking and the sitting and the walking without interruption. At first it might seem a little claustrophobic, but you can walk as quickly and or as spaciously as you need. But without the breaks or when you go to the bathroom, you're really there going to the bathroom then there's a continuity that gets built. There's an image that I've always found helpful of, of putting a, a kettle on the stove. You put it on that stove, even sometimes the flames are low, sometimes they're high, but if you leave it on that stove with the flames on, it will cook. But if you keep taking the kettle off every 30 seconds or so, it won't boil. And in the same way, let your practice start to cook in a, in a sweet, delicious way. Not struggling, but just making it all like a dance. That's the key. And another element of continuity, keeping things really simple. We are so good in our lives, most of us, at multitasking, aren't we? Yes, I'm pretty good. One thing at a time. So when you're just putting on your shoes, you're just putting on your shoes and tying sitting uh, on a retreat with um, powerful uh, meditation master. Walk every night for an hour or, or spent three nights talking about the end of the sitting when it ends to get up and go to your walking. Got the point across. Okay, every moment counts. Three hours of dissecting that experience. You don't have to be that obsessive, but just let yourself enjoy every moment that's here. It's a moment of your life that's never been here before. Don't worry about maintaining some kind of level of concentration. It comes and it goes. You know, again, on that same retreat, Upandita used to say, uh, tell me, you'd report every day, and he'd say, uh, tell me about your clearest sitting since the last time. And of course, you know, in 24 hours, you're bound to have one relatively clear sitting. So I'd go in and I'd report, and I'd report a 
fairly clear sitting, but then I'd say, but you know, the others weren't like this. I felt like I had to have like truth in advertising and, uh, you know, give a little disclaimer because it sounded too good. I said, you know, I was kind of spacey here. And I said that for a, f a few days and then he said, you don't have to tell me. So he knew. It's not like you get up here and then you're going to stay up here. It's kind of, there's a kind of slope where concentration comes, goes, going in a general direction of greater clarity. So don't worry about maintaining anything. You just show up with that very sincere kind awareness. So faith leading to energy and effort, leading to mindfulness, concentration. Most of these faculties is wisdom. Wisdom that naturally unfolds from moments of mindfulness building on each other. What is wisdom? <clears throat> there are a few aspects that one could talk about as far as wisdom goes. One way to uh, think of wisdom is seeing the three characteristics of experience. One, two, holding on to changing experience is dukkha, is suffering. And three, that you yourself are this changing experience. And so there's nothing solid, unchanging, fixed aspect of this mind-body process to whom life is happening. Life isn't happening to you only. It's happening through you. And so to see through the solidity of this sense of self is really what all of this practice and these teachings are pointing to. That's where the real freedom and liberation is. Where you can have any thought, any mind state, any emotion, and not have to take ownership and saying, oh, what a, uh, what a pathetic person I am, or hey, what a wonderful person I am for having that thought, having that or this body, oh, my body isn't cooperating as if you could have control over it. So to see through that sense of self, this is the, the, the true um, liberating understanding. Just as a, a, a way, a, a pointer to this that I, I like, to, um, like to share with you. Just close your eyes for a moment. And... Um, Instead of thinking, uh, we usually think of ourselves as somebody. That's me. A noun. This person. This thing to whom life is happening. So for a moment, think of yourself as a noun with a name that everybody knows. 
call me. Now shift for a moment and think of yourself as a verb, as a field of activity with all these different <clears throat> systems inside, circulation, respira respiration, nervous system, thoughts, emotions, all of the processes of life that are happening right now are a field of activity. Nowhere in that field that you can point to that's fixed and unchanging that is the essence of you. Something very freeing in realizing that. And that Mind and body includes everything physical, all the mind states, and it includes the awareness itself, the consciousness itself that moves through you. You don't have to, you can't control it all. There's a freedom in just appreciating the show. This is the Buddha. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by the attachments that visit it. This unlearned people do not really understand and don't cultivate the mind or the heart and the heart. Luminous is this mind and heart, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This the noble follower of the way really understands. understands. So for them, there is the cultivation of this mind and heart. Not take ownership of anything that comes through, but to care for the whole show with amazement and with Let's close with this poem points to this going beyond. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. These are the, the five faculties. Faith, effort, energy,
system. Every moment that you are here, see your way, just waking up to your life. Seeds and experiencing that freedom, both here in this moment and cultivating more and more Thank you for your attention. We're going to have a walk now for about a half an hour. And then we'll come back and uh, Greg is going to uh, be leading the chanting, which we'll be doing uh, each night. And he'll be uh, teaching you um, the chanting at the, the beginning of the sitting. Uh, so please come uh, to the beginning of the sitting. Um, and... Uh, Tonight it will uh, be a kind of other action that uh, allows the schedule. Yeah, it says nine forty, but uh, the the that last sitting will. We'll be ending at 9.30. Oh, wa yes, yes. Well, want to mention, uh, almost forgot. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have... Um, practice. <clears throat> if you uh, would like it's for everyone and clocks so you don't need to use it for that. strongly encouraged to the sitting after breakfast keep your name on the cell phone you will get it back in the end and uh
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.